Morning, South Shore. And good morning to those of you who are watching online. Good to see all of you here and online. And uh, for those of you who are maybe here for the very first time or back after a little while, welcome back. Welcome and welcome back. Good to have all of you here. Thanks to the team for leading us in the uh, chilly morning worship calisthenics. That was really great. And uh, first service, there was uh, three people wrapped up in a blanket. I'm assuming that was a, f a similar family unit. So just be warned. Uh, let's bring uh, hand warmers, mucklucks, parkas, whatever you need to do. Bring out the woolies. Wayne and Laura, you've got, probably got a lot of that good stuff in your closet somewhere. So just if you didn't bring it next week, Wayne and Laura will have it for you. Big, big coats and mitts. Well, I'm glad to be here today, and uh, we're pressing into the Lord, that God would speak to us, that he would encourage our hearts, and that we are going to be encouraged to know Christ and make him known. That's what we exist for, right? That's what the sign says. That's, we come in and out, and we remember that all the time. This is week two, Pray Big series. Woohoo! seven weeks, learning how to pray with the Apostle Paul, understanding what God did in his life to give us priorities and practices of prayer. We want to learn how to pray as Paul prayed. It's great. And last week in Colossians 4.2, we were in this very simple but profound text. It says this, devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. We talked about that last week. And this is what God is doing in the church to make us a praying church. By way of review from last week, we looked at the awesome privilege we have to talk to God who is our Abba Father. He's not only the Almighty Creator. He's not only the firstborn from the dead, the God of the ages. He's our Abba Father. And we have an audience with Him. And we can commune with Him in prayer. And prayer is the way that in our neediest, neediness, excuse me, that we talk to our Father who lovingly and graciously and generously pours out what we need in our dependence upon Him. We said that prayer was not overcoming God's reluctance, but it is laying hold of God's willingness. And I'm going to move this stand a little bit over here so you guys can see. Welcome. Hopefully that's better. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness in our lives. So what is the church's greatest need? What's the church's greatest need? Some of you might say, hey, let's get some free coffee in the foyer. That's what the church's greatest need is. Let's get some donuts in there too. Well, maybe they will return that we can have coffee and donuts again. That'll be great. Well, is it better programs? Is it more people serving? Is it greater engagement with the community? We could list a whole bunch of things that are really, really important things for us to do as church. But let me suggest to you today that the greatest thing for us is to know God in a deeper way and to be a gospel-shaped, gospel-saturated, gospel-infused, passionate, gospel-amazed people. And growing in this knowledge of who God is leads us then to overflow to other people. And how is this going to happen? It's going to happen as we pray. We're going to get to know God in a better way as we pray. And as we pray, God's pleased with us. He's honored when we look to him with dependency. Every time we say, Father in heaven, every time we seek first his kingdom, God is pleased. He's honored. Did you do that this week? The challenge last week was just to pray that God would make us a people that were devoted to prayer. Did you have opportunities, structured opportunities or spontaneous opportunities? Did you have some time driving down the road? Maybe something happened in the middle of your day that you just thought, I need to stop and pray. Well, if you're able to put some prayer into practice, praise God, God is honored. And what happens when you do that? Well, Second Chronicles 16.9 says this. 
For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's watching on the 401. He's watching in your hallways. He's watching in your home, your office. To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. God waits to be called on. And when we do that, when we call on him, when we depend on him, he meets us. And he pours his support. He gives us his strength. He helps us. We discovered last week that prayer was continual, just like a person who was unstoppable in their quest. Prayer is not haphazard. It's not hit and miss. We're in serious pursuit of God. Second thing is watchful. Paul said be watchful, like a sentry that's posted on duty. Alert, awake, vigilant. We are at the ready, remembering that we are in a serious battle for souls. And thirdly, last week we looked at just the fact that our Our hearts should be filled with thankfulness when we pray, right? We are on the winning team. Jesus has already done it. The end is sure and secure. We know that our God is the victor. We have every reason to be thankful for what Christ has done for us. And we receive the blessings of the cross. We are on the winning team. And we anticipate not only that, with thankfulness, all that God's going to do in the future. The promises of the scriptures are yes and amen for us in Christ. All of God's promises are yes, they're true. They're going to come true in our lives. We call upon him. Lord, we say thank you. Well, today as we look at this passage of scripture in Colossians 4, continuing on from where we were last time, this is the second message. This is today about what? It's about a big heart for the lost, a big heart for the lost that leads us to pray for a big open door, a big heart for the lost that leads to a big open door. That's where we're going today. I invite you to stand together. Let's look at God's word in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Hear now the word of the Lord, Colossians 4, 2 to 6. The Apostle Paul writes this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being thankful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer, excuse me, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may take a seat. Hello, Peter. So this text in these verses really divides into two sections, verses 3 to 4, verses 5 to 6. Look at your Bible again. In 3 to 4, this is what Paul has in mind, his own evangelistic ministry. In verses 5 to 6, he's got the outreach of the Christians in mind. Well, let's look at the first one. First one is this. With a heart for the lost, pray for those who declare the gospel. With a heart for the lost, pray for those who declare the gospel. After having exhorted the people to be devoted in prayer, as we looked at last week, Paul says, here's what you need to do now. You need to apply this. How do you live it out? I'm going to show you. He says, you're going to pray continually. You're going to pray being alert and thankful. That's the foundation. But here's the way we apply this passion for prayer. Paul says this, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us. 
Another translation of the Bible says, pray for us too. Pray for us too as you're praying, as you're, as you're starting to ramp up your prayer life. Pray for us. Don't forget, pray for us. The opening words of the section remind us that preaching and praying are a partnership. It works together. Those who speak and those who pray labor together, which is great news. We're all doing this together as we proclaim the gospel. We need each other in gospel work. The proclaimers and the prayers, they work together. The impact of Paul's preaching, he understood, was dependent on the prayers of God's people. So who was Paul? He's this great missionary. He's this great theologian. We love Paul. And Paul, with all of his strength and all of his boldness and all of his power, was not hesitant to ask the church to pray for him. He said, pray for me and those who are with me, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Tychicus. He said, we need your prayers as we preach the gospel. He was saying this, Colossian church, partner with us. Let's sign up together. Do this. Join with us as we preach and proclaim the gospel because we need you. We need you. And let's see here, let's learn this principle that the absolute necessity of God's power through prayer is for those who preach the gospel in the work of evangelism. We can't do what we do unless you're praying for us, is what Paul is saying. I remember, as I told you last week, about being in Guyana doing the Jesus Film Project. And we were there. I heard that, Peter. We were there, and there would be 100 people or so gathered in fields. We would set up a projector with a generator, some cords, some lights. We would invite people to come and hear the gospel. And there would be 100 people in the field, and we would be at the back in teams of two praying. We were walking around praying for those that were gathering as the film was being shown, as the gospel was going out. And there was one young man who was kind of at the back, and you could tell he came late and was really checking it out and wasn't sure if he really wanted to be there or not. We could tell he was only semi-interested. And as he turned, to, turned around to leave, just near the beginning, uh, we ramped up the prayer. And my partner and I, as we were praying together, we said, God, make him stay. Turn his feet around. Keep him here. And we watched as he kind of, you know, was wandering and turning, and then he turned back and he watched the rest of the film. Just, just in that moment, just in that moment, we saw God, as the word was going out, the prayers were being lifted up, and God touched his life. I would love to know someday if, um, if that guy made it to heaven, if that was a turning point in his life, that he heard the gospel that day. So, is that my crackling, or are you guys crackling back there? That's me. I can just take a, uh, I can take a microphone over here if you guys want. It's all good. I can hold a handheld mic if you want. All right, well, I'll keep talking until they're done. Well, the work of preaching and evangelism happens in the context of God's people praying expectantly to do what only God can do as we do what we can do. And Paul reaches out to the Colossians and he says, Colossians, would you put us on your prayer list? I don't know how many people have a prayer list. Just kind of put your hands up. Anybody use a prayer list? Well, that's great if you do. And if you don't, you may want to just think about, hey, I should actually create a prayer list. And uh, just yesterday, I redid my prayer list. I'd made this before, and it needed to be updated, and I was thinking I wanted to pray for some more people. So this is my uh, week of prayer, my prayer list. It's a pretty small font, but there's seven days on there, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got my family, my marriage, ministries, the church, missionaries on here. Monday, I pray for certain things, and Tuesday, and I, and I really needed to get this, this going again. And uh, if you're interested in learning how to use a prayer list, you can come and talk to me someday can help you with that. And just yesterday, I received an email from a friend who said this. Uh, it was interesting because I was, the message was done, and this came in randomly. He said, uh, 
I'm not sure if I ever told you this, Jody, but your sermon during prayer week of this year led me finally to write up a prayer list. I hate to admit it, but that's really when I began to pray consistently other than my prayer during my Bible reading. So praise God, he said. I was excited just to receive this, just knowing that a little bit of structure helped this guy pray more effectively and strategically. And the Apostle Paul was not ashamed. He was not too proud to ask the churches to pray for him on the front lines of his ministry. He knew that he needed it. And sometimes, you know, think about this. Sometimes we're afraid to reach out and to just ask someone to pray for us. When we're in circumstances, maybe we feel like, I'm just going to be embarrassed, or maybe it's our pride or fear of something. And I want to tell you, if you're afraid to reach out, don't let the devil keep you quiet about reaching out when you need prayer, because God will answer when people pray. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 11.1, he said this, you must also, you also must help us by prayer. Paul knew the help that was coming when he reached out to prayer. And so I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, today, in your need, don't be afraid to ask someone to pray for you. Sometimes you have a need, and sometimes it's the hardest thing to reach out to a friend or a prayer partner and just say, call them up on the phone, send them a text or an email. Just say, would you pray for me? I got this going on in my life. Hard, but powerful. And I want to just change it around a little bit. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, in our conversations, if you sense that someone's struggling, don't be afraid also to say, hey, can I pray for you? Yeah, be the one who reaches out for prayer, but also be the one who reaches to give prayer. Let's do that. Let's become praying people together. And Edie's story this morning was such a great representation and example of that. So preachers need your prayers. And uh, we study, we prepare, we pray. I don't know if you realize this, but those who prepare messages typically spend between 10 and 18 hours a week in prayerful study of God's word. And, uh, you know, our prayers are that God would use it. And we need your prayers as together we deliver God's truth, the elders and I. And so, like Paul, I would ask you, South Shore, pray for us. Pray for us in this preaching. Pray for us in this declaration, because this is the spiritual rocket fuel as you come alongside us and pray. This isn't just true of us. People have understood it all along. Paul understood it. We know it now. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great preacher in the 19th century in London, England, had a very, very powerful ministry at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And people would come to visit him, and they would just be inquiring about why is this church growing? Why there's so many people? Why are people getting saved? And he would take people on a tour and he would say, well, you want to see the, you want to see the secret? You want to see the power, the power behind this place? And he would take them to the basement. And what was happening there was people were on their knees praying. It was the powerhouse of the church. And Spurgeon would declare, here is the powerhouse of the church. Spurgeon knew where the power was from. And I believed firmly today in the powerhouse of God's people when they pray. And here's what I'm asking. I'm going to ask the Lord to raise up a team of men and women who will partner with the elders as we preach together, as we declare God's word, that you would stand with us every week, a team of, say, six people, that you would come alongside of us as we prepare our messages and as we deliver them, that God would help us to speak boldly and clearly and powerfully. If that's something God puts on your heart, you can email me, jody at southshorebible.org. And then the next thing Paul prays and asks them to do is he said, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. He was looking for an open door. So the message is going out, but there needs to be an open door for it. The car might have fuel in the tank, but there needs to be a road for that car to drive on. 
Paul said, would you pray that God would give us an opportunity to witness? You see, Paul had seen this before. He saw it, he wrote, writes uh, in Ephesus, on uh, 1 Corinthians 16, he says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. See, Paul, Paul saw God's hand at work. He knew there was this divine moment, this divine opportunity. And even though Paul was writing here in prison, he'd been there for two years, he had amazing opportunities. The Lord had opened up new places, new opportunities, new hearts, new cities. Just think about what he did at Philippi. Through the heart of Lydia, the church was born. And so God gave Paul an open door. And so we don't want to kick doors in. We don't want to pry them open. We want to move where God's working. We want to go where God has already gone. We want to speak to the people that he's already prepared. And so God opens doors and he gives us an open door when we pray. That's what we want. I remember not too long ago being called uh, one, one morning, I think it was a Thursday morning. It was a call from a family whose, uh, whose husband and father, was, his health was failing. He was in the hospital and they wanted a, a pastor to come quick. This wasn't, you know, come tomorrow or come next week. This was a come now prayer or a request. And there was on staff someone who, was, who did pastoral care and visitation normally, but he wasn't available. So I was at the desk when the call came in, and I said, I'll go. I didn't know the man. I didn't know his circumstances. I didn't know anything about the situation. And I was, I was going, praying. I said, Lord, would you, would you help me as I go? And when I arrived, I found a wide open door. It was a man in his 50s. His family was there at his bedside. And it was amazing what happened. The Lord gave the opportunity. The Lord gave this man an open heart. And he opened my mouth. And I shared the gospel with him right there. Right there in that time with his family at his side. And wonderfully, the man opened his heart to the gospel. And I had the opportunity that morning to pray with him, leading him to put his faith in Jesus Christ. And his life was radically changed. Well, praise God, the Lord gave him extra time. And in the months that followed, I was able to walk through the Gospel of John with him, meeting with him weekly, discipling him. And then I had the privilege of baptizing him. And uh, it was just a wonderful thing, Nathan. I think you've got a picture of that. And here is, uh, here's the day of his baptism. He came to know the Lord. He was baptized. And he was transformed for the glory of God. Amen. And that man is now with Jesus. Praise God for an open heart and an open door as we pray. Well, God gives us this open door. Then Paul also asks him for this next thing. He says this, Pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul wanted the open door. He wanted the power of prayer through the praying, praying of God's people. But then he wanted to speak clearly. He wanted to be like a laser beam. And he said, I want to be able to declare the mystery of Christ. I want to speak the good news. He said, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. There was this burning in his heart to be clear and bold as he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. This was his mission, and he was unstoppable. And he was praying that God would help him to preach the mystery of the gospel. We're going to come back to that in a little while, in a number of weeks when we come back to Colossians. But he talks about the mystery. What's the mystery? Well, the mystery was the message that was hidden in the Old Testament that was revealed in Christ in the New. The mystery is the good news of the gospel in Christ, what God has done in Christ to save us, to reconcile a lost world to himself. Paul was proclaiming the mystery of how people can be saved through Jesus. And he knew he needed the power, and he knew he needed to speak that clearly. 
And if you read in Acts chapter 21, there was some stuff that went on in Jerusalem. Paul was there. There was a riot. He almost got killed. He was arrested. And that took him on a journey all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And in all those days and months and years that transpired, he spoke to soldiers and Jews and Gentiles and religious leaders and kings and Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. And he ended up in Rome in his prison, even speaking to the people who were in Caesar's household. So Paul's mission to preach, the devil couldn't stop it. God gave him open doors. Even when he was in chains, even when he was in prison, he had opportunities to preach the gospel. God's word was not chained. Paul said, pray. Pray that I can declare as I I should. Pray that the gospel would go out. Pray that God changes circumstances. And as we do that, God will open up hearts. We live in Barrie. Some of you are in Barrie or just in the outskirts. Last I checked, 149,873 people live in this community that that we love and that we call home. Five to ten mile radius. Men and women, young and old. People who have been in this community for a long time. People who are new to Canada. Dare we church to pray, God, Lord, open up doors. Give us open doors to proclaim the gospel to these 149,873 people who don't know Jesus. So Paul would say to us today, believers, pray for those who preach God's word. Pray for open doors. And pray for God to open the hearts of people. So with a heart for the lost... First of all, we do this. We pray for those who preach the word. Secondly, with a heart for the lost, Paul says to us today, get the gospel out yourselves. Get the gospel out yourselves. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. The final two verses in our section turn a little different corner. and They logically connect with what Paul has just been saying. They're very much a part of, of Paul's heartbeat. He's saying, I'm all about evangelism and I want you to be all about it too. Do these two things. He said, pray for us and you get the gospel out as you live it and speak it. Look at the text. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, to those who don't know Christ, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, our, our life and our faith, brothers and sisters, Christianity is an evangelistic way of life. It's an evangelistic way of life. We are daily and directly involved in evangelism as we live, as we pray, and as we speak. That's who God made us to be. We are a contagious people. We're people who are living and telling the gospel as kingdom-minded, gospel-proclaiming, lost-loving, courageously evangelizing people passionate for God. We are looking outward in our focus. That's who we're supposed to be. That's what the Bible says. But, if we were honest, we would admit that it's, it's easy to, to kind of huddle and to stay in our little groups, in our little cliques behind closed doors. And the Lord says, you know, yeah, be in your groups, be encouraged, come together, gather together, but go. Don't stay, don't stay in this little enclave. How easy is it can be for us to be inward focused? But Paul says, you are on mission, so be mindful of how you walk and how you talk. He says this. He says, walk wisely and speak graciously. As you go, as you get the salt out of the salt shaker, as you go, South Shore, he says this, walk wisely and speak graciously. And the first one is this, walk wisely. We're to live well because what we do gives credibility to what we say. 
what we do gives credibility to what we say. Our actions and our words have to measure up. They have to work together. They have to support each other. You see, the reputation of the gospel is bound up in our lifestyle. People are looking at us. The reputation of the gospel is bound up with the conduct of those who profess Jesus Christ. You and I are walking, living advertisements for Christ. We are representatives of our king. So where we go, how we talk, how we walk, how we live is a demonstration of the gospel. So we say, God, would you use us as we walk wisely, as we speak well? We learn to walk wisely as we fear the Lord. We learn to walk wisely as the word of God dwells in us richly, admonishing each other with wisdom. Walking wisely before your neighbors means this, that you pay your bills, that you're a good neighbor. It means that you have integrity in your dealings, that your walk matches your talk. We want to walk wisely. So therefore, Paul encourages the people in us, he says, live an exemplary life before the watching world because, folks, your neighbors are watching. The world is watching you. They're watching me. And we have a great opportunity to let our light shine in a world of upheavals. When you raise your kids, when there's job stress, when you're going through difficulties, health problems, live well and let your light shine. Adorn the gospel with your life. Make the gospel attractive in a way that authenticates your faith. Because good works and holy lives glorify God. May God help us. The next thing Paul says is make, making the best use of your time. The idea, you know, we've read about it in other verses. You've probably seen the New Testament. He says, redeem the time. Make the most of it. Seize the opportunity. This is an urgent imperative. He says, you know what? Something's going to happen. God's going to open up a door. Seize it. Make sure you grab it. Because it's an open door from the Lord. And Paul had this opportunity at the very heart of the empire. And who knew what God would do in his life with leaders and people all around. And we have the opportunity to share the unshakable hope of Christ with people who need him. And I'm excited because in just a few short weeks, what's coming? In about 35 days, we have this great opportunity. Advent is going to be upon us. The Christmas season is just around the corner. You've probably seen it in the stores already. You've probably seen that displays are up and trees are up and lights are up and all that stuff. Well, the good news is that we get to share the gospel with our friends and we're going to get to invite them to church. We're going to get to invite them to come and be part of our Advent services. We're going to get to invite them on December the 5th to come to a Christmas concert that we're going to put on. We're going to get to invite them on December the 23rd to a Christmas Eve service where they can hear about Jesus and hear about the God who came to earth in the person of his son to give us a way back home. And so who are those friends that you think right now that you'd love to invite to church? Who are the people that, that you can think of that need to hear about Jesus? These are the opportunities for us at hand. And you know what? Christmas comes around every 12 months and we want to seize the opportunity. The key to accessing God's open door and his blessing and his work in the lives of people, you know it, it's prayer. So get the gospel out yourself by walking wisely. Here's the second thing. Get the gospel out by speaking graciously. Verse 6, look at that with me in the text. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, when God gives us the opportunities, when people are watching us, they're going to ask questions of your life. When people see your kids, when people see your life, when people see how you respond to trials, you're going to have opportunities. This is what the Apostle Peter says, 
1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So the text is saying this. He's saying, be prepared. Because when people are watching you and they see a difference in you, people are going to ask, what's this Christianity thing all about? What makes you tick? Why are your kids so respectful? How are you doing in the middle of this trial that just looks like there's such peace in your life? Why is that? Well, you're going to have an opportunity. You're going to have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And when that happens, when people ask you, and we pray that they'll ask you, we pray, we say, Lord, give me opportunities and give me the words to say. And if you don't have any warning for that, if it's tomorrow morning at work and you've got no warning that someone's going to come up to you and say, hey, what's different about your life? You throw up a prayer. You say, Lord, Lord, give me the words to say. And God will help us. We speak and the Holy Spirit will speak through us. Many of you have seen that before. But we'll do our best and we're going to leave the results to God. Our words matter. Paul's saying your words need to be gracious. They need to be kind. They need to be seasoned with salt. Our words should be respectful and wholesome. Our words should adorn the gospel. We should be winsome in our speech. And you know, uh, new Christians are very contagious, right? They're on fire for the Lord. And they'll witness to anybody and any anybody at any time. But sometimes new believers kind of lack some discernment. Well, we love their passion and we love their zeal. For people who have been followers of Jesus for a while, sometimes we have the understanding, we have the tact and the zeal, but we've lost the passion. Or we, we don't have the zeal, we've lost the passion. And what the Lord says to us is, believer, have the passion and have the zeal and have the wisdom. Let your words be gracious. Let them be wise about the God who is merciful and the Savior who died for us and the hope, the everlasting living hope that we have with Christ in our eternal home. I once saw a book title, it was, it was called The Confessions of a Happy Christian. And I loved the title and I read a few pages in the book. And the great thing about that book was he's basically saying, you know, we ought to be the most joy-filled, exuberant people because of who Christ is in us. We have the peace of Christ, we have the joy of Christ in our lives, and that is to be effervescently contagious. And may God make us those kind of people, when people look at us, they see joy in us. And we want to speak to people from this place of gospel amazement that we just go... The living God chose me, knows me, and called my name, and is bringing me home. And we want that contagiousness, that sense of contagion to spread through us as God fills our hearts and overflows to the people around us. Well, there's a powerful witness of our lives when we speak and we live well that points to the reality of Jesus. It's evangelistic, and it will invite people to come to know Christ, to come to know his saving power as God opens up a door in their hearts. And we want many people to come to know Jesus in faith. Uh, you've been hearing a little bit. Alex and I have been praying for our neighbors. Uh, we love our neighbors and uh, we're burdened for our community. And I hope you are too. hope you're praying for your neighbors and you're burdened for your community. And our prayer would be, Lord, allow me to lead people to you. Just the incredible opportunity we have to point people to Jesus. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to lead anyone to Christ, to faith in Christ. I just remember just just cherish the opportunities God's given me like, like Ross that I told you about. When God presents you with an opportunity even to speak of your faith, to speak of Christ, what a huge privilege it is. I grew up in Ottawa and there was churches all around and I was in high school and probably there was believers there when I was a teenager. But I didn't know any Christians. I'd never heard the gospel. No one had ever reached out to me and said, I'm a believer and you know, I want to tell you about Jesus. 
So here I was so close, but so far. The gospel may be really close to me, but miles away. I was an outsider like Paul's writing. I was outside God's kingdom. I was lost. I was wandering. I was devoted to worldly living, and I was blinded to my sin. But praise God, the gospel did come to me eventually. And praise God for the means whereby we came to know Jesus. Moms and dads, grandparents, evangelists, revival meetings, TV shows, the internet, whatever it was, where you came to know Christ, praise God. And now God says to us, South Shore, be those people. Be those tellers. Be those people who live and speak the gospel to the people who are right next to you. Maybe they don't even know you're a Christian. Maybe you're going to reach out and take the initiative boldly to say, hey, can I tell you about something that's really important? to me. Can I, can I invite you to church? We've got this great set of Christmas services going on. We've got some music and some messages that are going to encourage you. Well, as you reach out right now, as you begin to pray with alertness, with thankfulness, as you begin to pray for an open door and for the boldness and the courage to speak, God's going to open that door. You see, South Shore, we're the people who with expectancy we pray. We believe that God works as we pray and as we step out and speak to people about Christ. And with a heart for the lost, with a burden for people to come to know Jesus, we're going to get the gospel out. We're going to preach it. We're going to get it out as we live and as we speak in partnership together, praying and speaking and serving and living together for the good of God's people, for the glory of his name, and for the salvation of the lost. This is God's will for us, and this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed that you love us and that you call us to be those that live the gospel and speak it as ambassadors for you. Lord, we're amazed that you have called the work of evangelism to be residing with us. Lord, not in our power or in our strength, but Lord, you've entrusted to us that mission to be ambassadors, to be salt and light. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be gospel amazed gospel-saturated people that we would overflow and care. So give us, Lord, a heart for the lost and give us opportunities to speak and give us the privilege, Lord, of seeing many men and women, young people coming to know Christ and their lives being transformed. God, do this for your glory. Do this, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before the team leads us in our closing song, similar to last week, we're going to spend just a couple of moments praying about two things today as I see them in the text. The first one is this. I want you to pray about four things, and you're going to do that in just a moment. Pray that God gives us a heart for the lost. Pray, secondly, that the Lord would give me and our elders the power to preach his word clearly. Pray that God gives us an open door to share the gospel with the hearts of the people he's opened. And pray that the Lord would create opportunities for South Shore to impact our community with the gospel. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to identify the names of three people, three people in your heart, in your sphere, in your life that you would commit to praying for, even in advance of Christmas, that you can invite them to church, you can share the gospel, you can invite them to a Christmas concert. Who are those three people that you can name before the Lord and say, God, touch his life, touch her life. We're going to spend a few minutes just praying about that before the Lord, and then the team's going to lead us in a song.